Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks for joining this evening. There's a block-long stretch of a street in Portland, southeast Yamhill, between 34th and 35th, where some evenings over the summer, a crowd gathers. People wander up in twos and threes, or alone, or in groups, and they unfold chairs or blankets on the sidewalk, or the street itself, or in the grass on either side of the fence that lines the lumpy field just to the south. They sit down and face north, towards an unremarkable building in the middle of the street. And in the middle of that unremarkable building's unremarkable external wall, about 12 feet up from the ground, there's a window. It is, predictably, an unremarkable window. Two rectangular panes, large but not huge, not new and not old enough to be charming, and one of the windows is slid over behind the other one. This is where the remarkable starts. Because leaning out of that opening, with a ball cap tilted on his head and a wry smile on his face, is a man named Anis Mojgani. Anis is currently Oregon's Poet Laureate, which sounds pretty fancy and official. And in some ways it is, since the Poet Laureate is appointed by the governor and the role itself is enshrined in statute. But there is nothing fancy or official about what Anis is doing leaning out of that nondescript window every couple of weeks over the summer as the sun sets and the air stills and a crowd of people go silent. What Anise is doing without any organizational backing or electronic amplification is sharing poems and banter and silence and laughter with the people who gather. He puts the word out on Instagram and word of mouth and whatever else, and somehow the word does get out and a couple hundred people show up, or a few hundred, and their combined presence creates that unmistakable burble that belongs only to an anticipatory crowd awaiting something they can't yet fully know. And then, when Anise leans out the window, that burble stops, and people look north, toward Anise, and his voice, and his words, and the hour or so that follows. It all feels I'm comfortable saying, since I've been part of that crowd a few times, it all feels a little like magic or enchantment. And it feels a little bit like Portland or any city as it ought sometimes to be. For this episode of The Detour, we wanted to talk with Anise about how he sees what he's doing at the window and what he sees when he sees the people who gather. We also wanted to hear from some of those people, as well as some of the poems that Anise has shared. Some of these recordings come from inside and outside that window, and much of this conversation came from a day in August when Anise joined us in the X-Ray studio in North Portland, a basement room, no open windows to be found. But still, somehow, it all felt, well, pull up a chair or take a slow walk and maybe give it a listen and see how it feels to you. And maybe let us know how it feels, or show up sometime at that window on Southeast Yamhill, or open a window in your town and put the word out, and see, as the sun sets, 
and some people gather, what happens? Hey, this is Adam Davis in X-Ray Studios with Anis Moshgani. And Anis, I hope we're going to talk about things like poetry and windows. But I, <laughs> I wanted to ask if you could say, like, when you're at dinner with someone you don't know, and they say, what do you do? <laughs> what do you say to them? Uh, I tell them, uh, these days I, I usually say I'm a poet and an artist. And then... Do they? How do they react to that? It it depends. You know, like the 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 example that first pops into my head because it was so it was just fun. I mean, usually I think most folks are very. Uh, I think one of two things: it just sort of like doesn't register, or folks become like like a kind of confused in a really good way. Like it's like a curiousness mm -hmm. that's connected to the confusion of just sort of like. You know, I almost as if like, uh, you know, they're, you know, all of us have sort of like the usual banter that we have and like we hear what people say, but it also just sort of like goes in and collects on the floor of our interior space. And so it's like when something is kind of like, oh, oh, wait, oh, what? You know, there's kind of like that seemingly happening. Um, and... So, you know, when that happens, it's sort of like a uh, a follow-up question of some sort. But, like, uh, we were in um, uh, France last summer. I'd gone for this wedding. And, um, you know, there's there's this guy who, who would ask, like, oh, what do you do? And uh, he's uh, – a lot of folks at the, at the wedding were, were far younger than I were. And um, – he, if memory serves, is a lawyer. Okay. And so he was like, oh, you know, what do you do? And I said, poet. And his eyes got really big. And like any type of whatever shell that may have been around him suddenly just like went away. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, um, you know, so so it, it, it it's an interesting, hmm. you know, not that I like use it as litmus test to test folks, but it's like an interesting kind of like, opportunity at times where things sometimes become revealed about a person, um, you know, whether it is something that um, they get excited about or whether it's not, you know, I remember doing a, my first art residency years ago and uh, there was like cocktail hour at the start and one of the folks who had started this, this residency, so like had originally owned the property or whatever, was, was asking what I do and I said, uh, I'm a poet. And said, oh, you know, but what else do you do? Like, you, yeah. you can't possibly make a living off of that. And I was like, oh, well, I do. And immediately he just stopped talking to me and turned to someone else and started talking, <laughs> you know, like as if I'd like uh, embarrassed him. I, I don't know, you know. And, and so it's like, you know, it's very interesting that someone who is like very, very connected to the art world was like, very, very dismissive at the possibility of someone making a living off of their craft and someone that is like on the far side of the spectrum mm. of poetry, practicing law, was very, very intrigued and excited about that. You know? Yeah. The kind of poetry and the ways that you put poetry in the world often exceed sort of the bookstore world. Mm -hmm. shows up in lots of places. You show up in lots of places with lots of people and your poetry shows up in ways that I think people don't expect poetry to show up. Yeah. And, 
Um, I guess I want to ask about that in a general way, maybe by anchoring it with the specific, which is in our neighborhood in Southeast Portland, every few weeks, seems like, uh, you do this thing that you're calling poetry out the window. Poems at sunset out a window. Poems at sunset. Yeah, out a window. Out a window. I'm going to be the un... I'm going to be the wrong person at dinner. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally that. Like, I read poems at sunset out of the window of um, uh, my art studio. And um, so, yeah, it happens kind of whenever I feel like doing it, um, which usually is like every two, three weeks. Um and what it uh, is is me being in this window that's like, it's the first floor window, but the first floor is some a little bit higher. So it's like about like six, seven, eight feet off the ground. And I read out of the window to whoever gathers there um, that dusk. And um, yeah. You said whenever I feel like it. <laughs> like, why do you feel, what, what is it that makes you feel like this is a time to do this? It's it's a mix. Like definitely there's an aspect that's a little bit outside of me in that here's this thing that I've started doing and I have a relationship to it and it has a relationship to other people. Hmm. And so there's an aspect of like, oh, well, I, if there's a thing that I'm making that part of what it is is for other people, uh, I want to maintain that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's a thing that, oh, I haven't done one in X amount of time, or I'd like to be doing one at least once this month. So, like, where in my calendar can I can I fit this in? Um, where can I fit this in to 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 make sure that it happens? And so there's like, like this aspect of like, um, yo, you haven't done one in a bit. You got to do one in these. Um, but there's also an aspect of like you know, me wanting to feel that I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like one of the aspects of why it began was because I had been feeling for a while, um, like probably before the pandemic of the a thing missing in my life that was given to my life from when I had an ongoing relationship with my local community through my poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that when artists have a relationship to things, to spaces where they perhaps can be rougher around the edges, can engage with work that is made with more abandonment, mm-hmm. um, not refinement, uh, experimental, whatever it is, like things that basically it's like, eh, I, I want to be able to go like try this out, yeah. you know, particularly if one has a relationship with an audience that is kind of like a larger one where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'm a professional working blank creative field. And so the, like the things that I make have to have X amount of polish because I'm arriving a, a product to somebody. And so you start kind of like, Losing, I think, the space to be able to kind of be like, oh, there's also this thing that I love doing and I just don't get to do it except when I'm doing it under the professional umbrella. And so, you know, wanting to 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 allow myself to have a space where I could potentially push myself 
to engage with something when I wanted to engage with it. Yeah, it's funny you said professional umbrella because I do think I've been to a few of these and there is something about the feel of it. It's not institutionally affiliated. It's not organizational. It's not professional. And I say that in like the best way that, you know, like the distinction between a professional athlete and an amateur is that the amateur is doing it because they love it. Mm-hmm. In summer, I was loved. I loved, and the hours were filled, even when they were empty, with golden light. And again, in summer, I was loved again. And the hours, then again, even when they were empty, with golden light, were filled. And again, I was loved, and in summer, and again, and again filled and empty, and again with golden light, I loved and am loved, and again, and again I love, again, and again, and again, again. That was Anise with his poem, In Summer. There's like this kind of delight around the fact of this happening. Yeah. Uh, and it's palpable. And it's palpable even in the way, like, suddenly this street, which is not officially closed, fills up with people just sitting in the street. And then when cars start to come down, they you can almost see the car's body language where they're like, oh, wait, there's something yeah. special happening here. And then they quietly turn around <laughs> and leave. I mean, do, do you feel that kind of thing? Definitely. You know, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a mix of different feelings, I think, like, in that... Um, I, you know, it's it's sometimes hard when one is making something that is really connecting with folks mm-hmm. to know how to speak to how it's connecting to folks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being fearful of the ego perking up in the other room like, wait, what's that? Mm-hmm. There's something that we did that's like <laughs> radically impacting folks' lives. Tell us more, you know, about ourselves, you know. And so, like, that's kind of like a weird thing. While also, I think the aspect of, particularly when it's something like like this, is that is centered on how to give something to somebody, remain the giver of it, while also disappearing, mm-hmm. while also being the person that it's being given to. Mm. And and so it it, it it there there is a palpableness, you know. There is a a sweetness, a loveness, you know. Like it it's it's really kind of miraculous to me to like go to New York as I did this past spring, and my friend John be like, "Yo, man, I love this window. It, it it's bananas to me. I love it so much." And to then again have my friend Hanif say like, yo, this window is just like tripping me out. I, I don't I don't know what other poet laureates are doing, but like I'm over here in, in Ohio, I'm like catching these 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 winds and waves of this thing that you're doing with this window and it's really like bananas to me and you know, or you know, uh, uh my friend Adam here in town being like, yo, there's something 
there is there is there is a cultural thing that is happening with this window, and like I, it, that 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 feels wonderful, mm-hmm. and I want to like give the space inside of myself to that, mm. while also like not wanting to to give the space to that, you know? And so it's, 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 it's a, you know, I don't know, a kind of like strange at times dance of like what, how, how to recognize what this thing is doing in a way that feels like good inside of me. Do you just curious if you've run into the Naomi Shihab Nye poem gate A4? Is that the, the one where everybody's at the The airport? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the reason I thought of it while you were talking is because, so, and maybe we'll read it you know, at some point for this, but the narrator is going to get her flight. And then she hears this announcement that if anyone speaks Arabic, could you please go to gate A4? And she pauses. Yeah. These days she pauses and then she goes and there's an older woman and dressed like her grandmother who's sort of uh, collapsing and the people behind the counter don't know what to do and they want help. And then everybody at the gate's resistant to getting involved. But then somehow it's transfigured by the narrator's connecting with the woman and suddenly like they're breaking out mamul cookies and everybody's covered in magic dust and it's a party. And I kind of love that poem. And I also kind of think, why does it depend on the crisis to mm-hmm. build this beautiful community? And so I think the reason I thought of it while you were talking is because the window somehow like is the thing you're being at the window and putting the word out that creates community without the snowstorm or mm-hmm. the flood. Uh, are you deliberately in your head going, I want to create some community? Yeah. You know, like, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mix of stuff, you know, like that with regards to it, it's birthing is rooted in both the thing that I mentioned before about like me wanting to find the opportunity to like share work, try out work, explore new things at home. There's that part of it. And there's also the part that's like the, the always ongoing part of my craft of this sort that is like connected to what does it mean to take something um, that I've shaped and put it in a space with other people and have all of us build something together. You know, that's like the continuing ongoing exploration of that. And then also that like post 2020, what were the ways that we could conceivably come together and like wanting to to figure that out both for the 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 the, the actual reason of figuring out like yo this is something that like we we are lacking and how do we do this but also like i'm always part of the thing that i love about making art is trying to figure out new ways of fill in the blank, you know? And in this case, it's like, all right, well, if we live in a world where we no longer can all like gather into a theatrical space and share in this thing, what are, what are the ways in which like this could, could happen? Legitimately trying to figure that out because like, here's this thing that's very centered in the human experience that we have been denied, you know, for this time. And so, yeah, so all those elements of like why I put it together at the birthing of it, there's, there's a thing of, of over the last year and a half that have like continuously revealed like, well, what is this thing Hmm. that is ever changing? And I think that there's a big part of like, like I voiced from the window before about how our city 
is at a very strange place right now where there are individuals and institutions that have sought to seek using the place that we're in with regards to being inside of this global pandemic as an opportunity to shape the city in the way that they desire Mm. a city to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's lots of different ways in which a city can be. There's lots of different opinions about that. What is the right one? What is the wrong one? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I know that for me, there's lots of ways in which like this city has wrestled with its shaping over the years that I've been here that city leaders right now feel very much even more so committed to pushing in, in mm-hmm. this direction that I don't think yeah. is, 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 is sustainable, beneficial, and very, very self-serving with regards to a very, very small part of mm-hmm. the population. So there are people that are like actively seeking to take ownership of the city and make the city that they think is like, oh, well, a successful city is one that is like filled with beautiful things for beautiful people who have lots of money. And it's like, that that is a successful city, mm. provided that like those beautiful things are things that like everybody can have access to. And really great if everybody in the city who has access to them definitely has like the means and the resources to do such. But that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Reality is that there will always be a wide range of financial demographics. And for me, a successful city is one that like embraces that and welcomes that and serves all those different demographics. So the window for me, there's also an aspect where this is my opportunity for me to say the city that I want to live in is a city where a thing like this can happen. And so ideally that also then means that like, if you witness this, perhaps that also then means that it might reconnect you or illuminate to you. What is the city that you want to live in? And what are the ways that you can aid in manifesting that? And so to me, that's very much connected to community. And I love that like I get to come to this space on this street and 100, 200, 300 people will trickle in and like you said, like keep cars from going down it. And that like I get to see new people. I get to see returning people. That like the day after when, you know, being tagged in stories like on Instagram that I see different folks that like either I know personally or like faces of strangers that are familiar, you know, like it's a really beautiful thing to be able to have familiar strangers around oneself, like in in all walks of life, you know, like when we walk, you know, we live in the same neighborhood. And so it's like, it's, it's, it feels great when we run into each other. Agreed. And it also feels great when one like sees people whose name you don't know, yeah. but you're like, we're, we live in the same space. You know, we go get coffee at the same spot. You know, like that's a really beautiful thing I find. Assistant producers Karina Brisky and Ben Waterhouse chatted with some people in the crowd to see what brought them to hear a niece and friends at the window. Would you tell us your name? Yeah, my name is Megan. Megan, what brought you out tonight? I've 
kind of been following Anissa's like poetry career for a while. Um, I first kind of learned of, learned of him through the Trail Love on Her Arms uh, organization, and he did the Heavy and Light tour um, with some of his spoken word poetry. And when I was doing my undergrad with creative writing and poetry, um, he was somebody that I kind of, I don't know, really <laughs> looked up to and tried to model after in, in some ways. Um, when I moved out here, I didn't realize that he had lived here too and found out he was a Oregon Poet Laureate and um, was doing this. I heard through the social media. So, I don't know, just kind of everything I've loved about him and his raw, vulnerable, just a um, whole lot of heart. What are some things that you feel like you get out of it or feelings that you have when you leave? I'm just inspired um, a lot of times just for connection, for, you, you know, the craft of poetry itself. And um, I'm always just left with some sort of, like, contemplation about life or, you know, the relationships you have through through his poems and just, like, the like kind of what binds us all together. Well, thank you very much for talking with us. Thank you. Would you mind telling us your name? Um, my name is Gabby West. Cool. And uh, is this your first time coming to this event? No, it's. I think we just established our, my third time coming, yeah. Awesome. What brings you to this event o over three times? Um, a general love of poetry, and I'm a fan of Anissa's work. I actually first heard his work when I was in high school, and a friend sent me this event and I was so shocked that it was the same poet, but I keep coming back because it's just a really beautiful time with super cool people. And um, yeah, what's not to love about poetry at sunset? <laughs> How does it feel to be like in a group of people in a public space, like in 2023 experiencing poetry? Yeah, uh, I love it. I think it's extremely vital. Um, I love that it is outside. It makes you like everyone feels safe. Also, just getting to block off a public street and making it feel like it's ours. Um, yeah, it just brings me closer to not being in my bubble of like, oh, I hate humans. And that makes me feel like, oh, wait, I guess I like these things that I also am. <laughs> The tigers, they let me touch them. They were so soft. Even when out the front door, they left with their softness. Even when they left with my arm, even when seemingly too like a puppy holding but a plush whale squeaking in their mouth. It's not that it didn't hurt, but there was no blood and another arm arrived. From out of my body, like a daffodil out of the winter. And now, well, I have one arm. And at the same time, I have two arms. And at the same time, I have many arms. All the arms that have been taken or lost or given. I have them too. Still somewhere under this earth of me and they being unseen, being but a memory, are able to touch what isn't there, but they're still the same, able to lift what is invisible. And there are a lot of tigers in the world to be touched from afar, their softness a lot 
of tigers, whether flush with rich fur or belly waxing and backs bowed, meeting in the middle, broken toothed and belly concave as a waning moon. There are lots of tigers and many flowers of petals, jugs of burnt clay, clouds moving over pastures and songs made rich by the throats, loving them into loudness, made rich from the earth up to the elbows, planted and pulled into the third month's end, softening. It takes a lot of arms, a lot of arms to touch us all. I am a tiger too. That was Anissa's poem, The Tigers They Let Me. It's really interesting that you, in starting to talk about, I think you've talked about beauty and beautiful things a lot, and about community and craft and the way those two go together. But I think that last thing you were saying about the possibility of a city, mm-hmm. in a funny way, is political. And it's it's great that you so explicitly drew out the connection between uh like a beautiful gift or a beautiful offering and the politics and the possibility of a city. Yeah. Uh, And I just want to say, as someone who's been to a few, I think that's the experience. For everyone that's there, I think it does compel us to envision what a city might be. That makes me think again about Gate A4, that actually, (laughs) that there is, in your head even, and that there's a deliberate attempt to make the community, and in this case, a large extended community, full not just of people we recognize, but people we don't, to make it more than it is and to make it in ways that maybe it hasn't yet made itself. Definitely. You know, and, and so, of course, like, those things are political. Like, I was raised in a, a Baha'i household, and one of those the things that Baha'is believe in is um, not engaging with bipartisan politics. And I think when I was younger, that was a thing that sort of became basically like, oh, Baha'is just didn't engage in politics. And I think that that's something that's not just like a Baha'i mentality. I think that's like a, a person mentality of like, what what is politics? What is political? Um, and so thus, like, what is appropriate to talk about with whatever? And, you know, the reality is that like, like I'm definitely not uh I don't I don't I I don't care much about politics, you know. To me politics is like I don't know, the jackass high schoolers that were obsessed with either like the Republican party or the Democrat party that just like wanted to like argue about things that like they weren't actually a part of. Yeah. By that same token like that which is political doesn't have to be something that's like not beautiful either, I think. You know, and I haven't really thought about that before until you were bringing this up about like, yeah, what is the relationship between that which is beautiful and that which is political? Mm -hmm. You know, like if it's political to uh, seek to deliver to oneself and to others hope and autonomy and empowerment, well then, yeah, that's a beautiful thing, you know? (laughs) Particularly like in a world where it's like, it is so much easier to keep people where they are if they do not have a relationship to beautiful things in the world, you know? Um, and people who do have a relationship to beautiful things, like actual beauty, not like, ooh, you know, like, look at this lovely thing, you know? 
that I wear to show to you that I have this beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, but an actual relationship to beautiful things, um, you know, there's a there's a joy and a goodness that arrives to us when we have those relationships. That guy at that residency that you were at, mm-hmm. who asked what you did <laughs> and then walked away. Yeah. What a missed opportunity. <laughs> because I because I think that's part of the problem. The part something like yeah. poetry or art ends up getting compartmentalized. Oh, that's at the residency, that's where that happens. Or maybe it gets put in a book and that's where that thing happens. Yes. And I think what you have been saying, and even more than that, what you've been showing is no. Like it's is what we do when we wake up in the morning and it's how we shape the world we live in. Uh, what do I do for work? Well, like with other people, I make this place yeah. more of what it might be. Well, like, you know, it's, it's funny that you bring up Naomi Shabnai because like, uh, I think a lot of my, um, my reign as, as poet laureate, um, <laughs> Rain with a with a soft fist, um, the uh, is, is is has been very much centered on, you know, with me asking myself like the questions of like what does it mean to, to find poems, to see poems, hmm. to like introduce to other folks the possibility, the idea, the truth that like all of us are surrounded by poems and they happen whether or not we make a poem out of them. Um, even if we bear witness to them, we don't have to necessarily make a poem out of them. A lot of that idea, I think, is very much like that's that, that Naomi has, has has put forth about like that that we are surrounded by poems. You know, how can we not be? We think in poems, and and I think that there's like this this aspect where you know, a hundred percent that like I want us to be in a space where. Um, we are bearing witness to like all the ways in which that there's constant poetry around us. Um, and again, it, that it doesn't mean that the end goal needs to be, I experienced this thing, I have to write it down. Mm -hmm. It can be simply enough to, to, to bear witness to a beautiful thing in the world, to bear witness to a painful thing in the world, to bear witness to a joyful thing, a sorrowful thing, a funny thing, a curious thing, a strange thing, like, but simply bearing witness. Because bearing witness means that, like, we are engaging with the world around us, that we're not simply, you know, moving from point A to point B to point C, back to point A, back to point A, you know, back to our beds and repeat. And so, yeah, like, whatever it is that kind of, like, seeks to recognize that poems exist in books. They also like exist in books because the book is the impression of something else. The poem is an impression of something else. These have been collected so that we can like share them with folks. Um, But to share them with folks, perhaps in order that they might be able to start bearing more greater witness to the poems that are constantly existing around us. Like a window. Oh, like a window is a poem. 100%. My most beautiful wedding was on a hot day under the magnolias. And after bird seed was thrown into our laughing mouths, so my friend Derek, um, my friend Derek, he, he, he's also my publisher. Like, he, he published this book. Um, he's read from this window before. He is, I've said over the years that, like, 
if 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 the aliens come down, which it seems that they perhaps already have, according to this week, what a these are strange times, man. Um, but should they come down and require us to select a champion of ours to represent for humanity in some unknown competition, my first and only vote is Derek Clifford Brown. Um, uh, he, 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 for my money, is the greatest poetry showman uh, uh, that I know. And as my friend Chris says, like, there's just something about living, about being a human, that Derek has figured out. Like, he just, like, he does poetry shows largely just so he can have a dance party with as many people who want to dance as possible. Like, he's just a, he's just a really beautiful, powerfully living person. And back when I got married, he, uh, he, 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 he officiated the wedding. And, like, uh, me, me and my then-not-yet-then-wife, we had gotten a pinata to place our rings inside of. Um, and uh, Derek was trying to, to, to launch this rope over an oak tree branch in the park down in New Orleans. And it, it, could, it wasn't happening. So uh, he has reasonably long arms, and he's a reasonably tall person. So he just gingerly held the the acorn-shaped pinata as far from his head as possible. And we took turns swinging at it. My, 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 my betrothed knocked the rings out of the pinata. They were lost. Uh, they were found. Um, but at the end of the night, when, when we were exiting from, from the reception, um, and we were all like, we, the two of us were like running down this uh, driveway from my friend's... Uh, backyard, courtyard of their home, we were running through it, and, and everyone was like lobbing birdseed to like land in the air and fall down on us. Except for Derek, who crouched down real low. And as we like walked past, he had this look on his face that was the look of a demon. And he just laughed maniacally and launched birdseed from below into our open mouths. <laughs> And after bird seed was thrown into our laughing mouths, <laughs> sticking itself to the sweat on our limbs, we crossed Magazine Street. And in the warm water of the tub, I lowered my kiss between her knees. Darling is the word she once used to name me home. Some of everything was once hers, but not everything ever was. Everything of mine is mine feeding pancakes to the birds off the Bleecker Street fire escape. The way the negative 30 degree night in Fairbanks froze my nose hairs. The moose I saw past the glacier. My birthday breakfast of ice cream and Oreos the morning after turning 13. The snow-colored constellations of the clouds moving over Salvador as a nation dressed in white set flowers down into the waves on New Year's Eve kissing Emily against the sink top in a hotel bathroom in Augsburg, Sarah taking baths on Barber by candlelight, the fox my sister and I saw off Lake Michigan, one-fourth of July, my sister telling me to not get too close as it looked sick, how it and I stared, and I cannot recall who disappeared first, and now 
how by way of me remembering the fox, the fox always comes back. How always the flock in the sky curves like a sail, billowing to fullness in the wind of my heart. You're listening to The Detour with Anis Mojgani. That was his poem, Addresses. You said that this started during the pandemic and as a response to the difficulty of gathering and the Mm -hmm. difficulty of sharing. Uh, The pandemic is not fully behind us, but we're operating like it's mostly behind us. Uh, What happens to this particular activity? It's a good question. We did it last year until sometime in October. And then... Randomly did one on the first day of, of the year. I wish there was like 10 people because it was like 4.30 and I was like, hey, let's do a window. But so this quote unquote season of the window, you know, began in in March, I think it was, like like it did last year. And um, every single time it happens, I don't know who's going to show up. Yeah. Somebody will show up. I just don't know how many. But like out the gate this year, it's been full streets. You know, like, I think like the second one we did, maybe it was the third one. It was so many people that I like asked if everyone would humor me and count out and 309 people counted out. And I remember the weekend after that one, I was just sort of like reflecting a lot. I'm like, well, what is, what does that mean? Like, I don't, of course, I don't want to be like one of those folks like, oh, now that something's popular, it's like. Dead. I gotta go do something else. Uh-huh. Um, particularly since, like, that's one of the things that I think is like out of the cultural fabric of the city that we live in. That is part of it. You know, there, there there's often I think a, a a mindset in our city of like as soon as something becomes mm. bigger, it's time to stop doing it and to do something else. You know, or what are the ways to keep it just exclusive. So I didn't want to do that. But also at the same time, like, you know, it becoming this larger thing, put forth questions in my head, like one, safety, Mm. you know, Um, but also two, this aspect of like, you know, of course, like the larger something becomes, the like more distance between whatever's at the outside of that shape to like what is at the center of that shape, Mm -hmm. you know, the distance between where it is now versus to like where it started. And, you know, of course, like a thing is going to grow and change and develop. But as, you know, my friend Jen, he's like, hey, you do it till you don't want to do it anymore. And so it's like, there's, there's, there's that very true reality that like, I'll do this until I kind of like, don't want to do it anymore. And how it might arrive there, I don't know. Um, The, uh, how it exists right now within this kind of like weird spot of the pandemic where like, as you mentioned, we we are definitely not the world that we were in 2020. Um, we're also not like, like the reasons for the pandemic are still very much part of our, our life. Yeah. And there's also a way in which we like both engage with that and also ignore that or have just sort of like made do with like, well, this is just how it is now. Um, and so- you know, what this looks like inside the pandemic, like at this juncture, feels like one, I, I, I still want to be able to provide a thing that does make space for folks that perhaps are are more vulnerable mm-hmm. 
thus are, are, are not able to like participate with a number of activities that like either other people can or other people choose to. Um, and so there's, there, there's that element, but I also want to continue pushing two things maybe. I mean, there's probably more, but like that come to my mind of like one, what, what does it mean to, to do a show? What kind of shows, so to speak, exist in the world? Mm. And can they be different than what we've engaged? And not just shows, but like, what are the ways that we can create things that maybe are not so connected to a very direct transactional purpose? Mm-hmm. Like what things can be transacted and what things can exist without transaction of any sort? Um, and so like wanting to kind of like continue allowing that, the space of the window, whether on a very conscious level in, in any participants or a subconscious level of like what, hmm. what that conversation is. But I think also for me on a, on a more personal level, the other aspect is just like, there's things that I want to do at the window from the window that I haven't, like, I don't feel like I have fully welcomed and embraced like some of the reasons of why I I wanted to do this, which is like to explore new possibilities of, of work. And I share new work. I share untested, so to speak work. Um, but like, I also know that there's just like different types of things that I would like to push myself to do, Mm -hmm. um, that I haven't yet done from the window, you know? And so it's like, I'd, I'd like to. Yeah. You know, sometimes we'll ask people at the end of these, like as you go back to the window, as you think about the window or about the possibility of the city, mm-hmm. are you carrying a question around inside you? Mm. I'm curious as to what what this can be. Like I love entertainment and I love being entertained. And I think that like folks who come to the window are being entertained, but nor would I seek to describe the window experience as entertainment. Mm. The reason why entertainment often exists is that it, 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 it's connected to ideas of what is, what is escape? What is a balm mixed with enjoyment? And, and, and I think that, yes, the window provides escape. It provides a balm and provides enjoyment. But it also is seeking to have someone sit there and perhaps start asking their own questions about what does it mean when I leave this window? What is being given to me by all of us being here together? Not like what's being given to me by a niece, you know, but what is being given to me by being collectively here? And is that a thing that I am able to like bloom? in some form or fashion, whether that is like through a very like individualized exploration of my own imagination or whether that is something that is like connects me to what community is, to what a city is, what a city can be. I, I think like that's the question that kind of like sits in my head. Like what what are the ways in which the window is able to like keep doing that uh, and perhaps find new ways to do it? Is it something that can exist separate of the window that I do it out of. If I can do it in a different city, if I can do it in a different space, if it 
cannot involve a window? What What is the form of it? What is the shape of it? What is the ongoing conversation of this thing? It's great. Well, I want to say thank you for the window. I want to say thank you for the poetry. Thanks for the community and the possibility, this city, other cities, and for continuing to think about what it might become. I just want to say a huge thanks. And I think I'm saying it not just for myself, for lots of people, lots of places. And may your reign as Oregon Poet Laureate <laughs> continue to exceed the bounds of the position in so many ways. So, well, thank you thank so you. much, Adam. The, uh, the, uh, before we go, maybe I will do a little poem. <laughs> the, uh, and, uh, you know, cause it's like, I, I think that there, I mean, I, I, and I do do this poem a lot and I do it a lot cause I, cause I really love sharing this poem and there's a, a number of reasons why. But I think also like in the context of all this, like that there's something to be said for what, like it's a poem that I wrote very specifically about a friend of mine who had posted this photograph of this lemon tree. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, like there's, there's certain poems I think that, you know, I do often out in the world and this is one of them, this lemon tree poem. And it comes to mind because it is the thing that like started as one thing and which was just like a poem in response to a lemon tree. And it's still that, but is also like grown over the years to like, for me, be connected to different things, which also like mirrors what is happening inside of the poem itself. And so maybe it's something to, to sit with that thought under these questions of like art and community and cities and what directions do they go into. Oh, lemon tree, I grew from a seed. How big you've gotten. You were so little when you were a seed and now so big. And soon you will carry such lovely lemons, yellow and dimpled. And when they grow too big for your thin branches and they leave this kitchen of mine, ask them not to forget it, this kitchen of ours. It is my favorite room in the house. And lemon tree, when you pick up to follow, please do think of me. I will think of you here when my tongue is far too sweet and my hands are far too empty. I will think of the quiet poem that was your shape. Lemon tree, please. Bring a scarf with you. Wherever you end up, it may be cold. And if it isn't, perhaps you will one day travel to a place where it is. And I wish for you only warmth. I wish for you warmth. Direction 
to find my way back Lost from the trails and lost from the path music you heard in this episode was by Israel Nebecker of the band Blind Pilots. You can find links to both Anis and Israel's work in our show notes, as well as Naomi Shihab Nye's poem Gate A4. If you liked this episode, please send this to three people you think might enjoy it. We'd be really grateful. The Detour is produced by Kieran Bond. Dave Friedlander is our editor. Adam Davis is our host. Ben Waterhouse, Karina Brisky, and Alexandra Powell-Bugden are our assistant producers. Special thanks to Anis Mojgani, the Windows musical guest Israel Nebecker, and audience members Gabby, Blake, and Megan for talking with us outside the window. We're going to say goodbye with a few poems by Anis. Thanks for listening to The Detour. In the dark, I followed your birds. They brought me here to this spruce. See the sprig of it brought back to you that I am holding in my hand. It is from your tree, O sprig of my heart, I have broken off for you. I saw your heart when you thought no one would. You saw my heart when I thought no one was looking. I saw yours smiling at that color of turned yellow you love when your heart thought no one would look. We are all walking home walking home on the backs of our ancestors. In here, he said, pointing to his chest, you smell like spring. Back then, when the wildflowers became from the rain's arrival and departure, when spring was leaving and summer was only beginning, when the Texas sun was not yet at its most terrible apex, when the lake at dusk found their mouths and gave them dark lips. 
when the canoe wrote the poem with an arrowhead wake, when all movement was a holy dance, when the island gathered lovers like cat's eye marbles in a drain, when the sinks in heaven filled full, when two bicycles between two people became a church, when he prayed hard enough for the gods to actually hear his heart, when the thunderstorm kept her plane on the runway, when he pulled the car off into the gravel and grass lot of a barbecue joint off Ben White Boulevard to take her call with the sky's water falling down like sheets of metal, when he turned back to the airport to pick her up and bring her back home, when he was new again, when he became fearless, when he walked in the middle of the street and no car could touch his joyous bones, when she was nervous out loud laughter was knots, happy for his fingers, when she was the sweetest meat of every plum, when under his touch she became water, was juice on his chin, when all the orchards parted for the song of her heart to sing between their branches, when she knew a tree they could grow together would be planted, when she dreamed of their children's names aloud, when the scorpions stood still in awe of this dreaming, when the gods silently undressed to step into the coldest river, when the heat of their bodies made the steam rise, when the elbow sang, the ear, the back of the leg, when what their bodies sung to sang back, when like race cars in love, they barreled across every map, Traverse City, Chicago, Puget Sound, when the evergreens broke the rain, when she took him into the graveyard, when he lay on her chest, when he used the grass to whisper his love and placed his head on her belly, less an offering to an altar and more a release of anything earthly, when all the grief his fists clenched became dust and the wind spoke, when tongueful they still understood the words and anything inside him that was missing stayed missing and he had no need for its return, when the world became small enough to hold when her and him and her and him and her and him was all the magic a magical thing needed oh what a plum it was the tight skin peeling back from their bodies and blackbirds pouring out as sure as song do you remember when after we had been eating chicken and rice and I said to you that I always love you but today, right now, I'm in love with you. And you smiled sheepishly and sweetly and at the same time. And I said to you that your face looked like an ocean agate glowing. Do you remember this? Surely, my love, you must. It was just last week. And it was such a very sweet thing for me to have said to you. And such a sweet way for you to have made me feel. So sweet, I had to write it down. Here, for you, for me, for us both. That was In Order, Sprig and Chalcedony by Anis Mojgani. Thanks for listening to The Detour. <laughs>